0: have a seat. Did everyone have a happy Thanksgiving? Yes. Did anyone have one of those uh, awkward dinner moment Thanksgivings? No? I really want to hear about one of those sometime. I've never had one, but they're always in the movies and they look, thank you, they look so much fun to be a part of. I like awkward situations. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Flip with me to Luke. Uh, just a couple quick caveats before we get started. Um, this will be our last week in Luke uh, for a little while. We are going to start Advent next week, and I am so excited about Advent. Um, if I'm honest, I wish there was five weeks of Advent, not four, so we could have started it today, because we are like full Christmas everything. Anyone else, like decorated tree, all that stuff. So. Uh, Yeah, Luke is not in my mind. Christmas is, but we will be faithful to the text and keep going. We will be emailing out this week an Advent guide. So you can do with your family, your roommates, your kids, whatever you have. Um, we totally stole it, it's not ours, we didn't create it, but um, just kind of use it as a guide as we get into the Christmas season, because um, it's so quickly for us to get to the Hallmark side of things and not the gospel side of things, um, so that'll be a good grounded, not that I'm not Hallmark, calm down, I love Hallmark movies, I don't, but I do. Um, so, be get, looking for those as we get started this week. Um, another quick thing, I don't know what's happened to my throat Uh, but like I've had more recolas that would kill a walrus. Um, So I've got to stay at like this octave. If I go any higher, I start sounding like a middle school boy going through puberty again. So if I sound very monotone and dry, it's because I don't want to crack in front of you. So if I do, if my voice cracks, please laugh as hard as you want to. It will not embarrass me, but that's what's happening. So if i man, Gabe just doesn't look like he likes me. Well, I don't like you, but it's my throat too. Just kidding. If you're new here, welcome to the branch. We like sarcasm. Uh, So Luke 20 is where we're going to land, and this is just a very interesting text that we're going to be looking at. Um, And and what as I was was studying, it got me thinking a couple weeks ago, I had an incident happen that just ties really well, I think at least. Um, So raise your hand if you're an elder here. So we've got me and Greg and Rob and Matt and then Jeremy's and the kids. So um, raise your hand if you've ever been part of an elder-led church. Cool. Okay. Raise your hand if you haven't. That's probably a better question. Um, so elder leds are a little different than, than I mean, I would argue that we, we get the idea from the text, but um, ultimately elder led, that the governance structure is a little different. So um, my daughter knows, she's seven, she knows that we have elders and we regularly meet together as elders. So she was, dad, what's an elder? What does an elder do? And, and Papa's an elder because my dad is Greg. It feels weird calling him Greg because he's... Papa or Popsin. So she knows that pops is an elder. So what what does dad do and all this kind of stuff? And so I just made this flippant comment. Yeah, like Papa could fire me if he wanted to. Um, Which is true. I mean, the elders have, we have, I have one vote as of five. So if the other four elders wanted to fire me, they could vote and I could be gone and I would have no question. But um, so as we're talking about this, we start laughing about it. So a couple weeks ago, we had an elders meeting at my house. Um, We were waiting on the elder that is forever late. I'll let you figure out who that is. Um, waiting on him, and so Jeremy and my daughter, Jeremy's the fifth elder in children's, so we're talking and, and she said, yeah, Jeremy, uh, Papa can fire my dad. And Jeremy goes, yeah, me too. <laughs> Just like nonchalant, yeah, I have that power too. and. So, like, I could read my, body's la- or my daughter's body language, like, what is happening here? Because um, Jeremy, like, happy, fun, go lucky. Yeah, I could fire him, too. Um, so, a- at the surface, I mean, that, like, that should make us nervous, right, that, that I have three guys in this room that they could walk and get Jeremy, and within five minutes, I could be out of here. But I love these guys, and I love submitting to their authority and to their leadership, and it's fun. But when we really start pressing in this idea of authority, a lot of us, if we're honest, get really nervous. I think one of the... reasons when I first started studying this, I'm not an authoritative guy. I don't like authority. I have a problem with authority. My mom would call it strong willed, um, which like I just kind of I liked that about myself until I had a strong willed child and now I hate it about myself. And so, with this idea of authority, we just don't like. And so, as we're in this Passion Week of the Scriptures, Jesus is going to stop and make a huge lesson on authority, which on the surface makes no sense why this would take place, why such a big teaching a couple of days before his dead, a, a death about authority would, would resonate so well, but it does. So, if you'll go to Luke 20, verse 19, uh, with us this morning, this is, we're just going to read a little bit, pray, and then kind of work our way through the text. To see what Jesus says about authority and not only what he says, but how he models that for us. Luke 20, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he had said, as to deliver him up to the authority in the jurisdiction of the governor. Verse 21. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a Daenerys. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar what is the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they are not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. So let's pray. Uh, Father, would you speak to this morning through your word? Um, God, would we walk out of here different because of the example that you first set for us? Uh, Father, we love you and we're grateful for you. Would we, through this text, understand uh, what the, the framework that you've laid for us, that authority is a good and right thing that we should willingly submit to because you did. So Father, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So, what's happening here is we're coming into the Passion Week. uh, Depending on what scholar, what theologian you listen to, this is either a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and his death is on Friday, right? So, um, all the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the scribes and the Sadducees, I mean, this is their time. This is go time. They're trying to trick him up, they're trying to trap him so that they can ultimately bring him before the council, bring him before the courts, and have him murdered. And their schemes keep falling apart over and over and over again. And we see this all throughout the Gospels. It's because the time wasn't right yet. That's why Jesus would perform a miracle and say, go, but, but don't tell anyone yet. My time has not yet come. When it's my time to die, it'll be my time to die. But it's not that time Yet. So we see this taking place. And um, last week, we looked at another failure of the religious leaders. And this time, though, in a lot of ways, I, I got to give credit where credit's due. These guys did it well, right? So they disappeared. They sent in spies to do the dirty work for him, so that Jesus wouldn't know what was happening. And they put Jesus in a really, really tough position because you had two different crowds here. Um, you had the Pharisees and the religious and the super Jews. Remember, we're in Jerusalem for Passover. So these were the Jews among Jews, the ones that valued Passover. Passover and all that that meant coming into Jerusalem. So you had this one crowd, but then you also had the Herodians, right? The ones that loved, they were Jewish, but loved Rome, loved all that was happening through Rome. And so you have this, this collision of two different crowds happening as Jesus gets thrown this uh, rather dangerous question. Because if Jesus says, oh yes, we have to pay taxes, forget what the Jewish culture says, we have to pay taxes, then the Jews are going to kill him right there on the spot, But if he says, forget Caesar, forget Rome, then the Herodians are going to go tell that to the Caesar and 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 his death is going to happen on the spot. So there's this really tough question that they throw Jesus right in the middle of, but his answer is Beautiful. Now, this question is really, in particular, kind of a a dirty one because of what represents the coin. So when he says, give me a Daenerys, give me a Daeneri, what is on this? it's it's just kind of like our coin. It's a head and tails kind of deal. And on one side was an engraving of Tiberius, the emperor of Rome, with the inscription that says, son of the divine. So on this coin, it says, son of the divine. He's claiming that he's the son of the divine. Augustus claimed it. All the Caesars since him claimed it. But on the other side was the mother of Tiberius, sitting on a throne with a priestly robe and uh, with the inscription of high priest. So the Jews hated these coins for three reasons. One, it represented the oppressive political policies of Rome. Number two, the image of Tiberius—excuse me, Tiberius—violated the second commandment of Moses. Can I just go back real quick and just uh, how country that sounded real quick? Tiberius, i spent too much time with my wife's side of the family over Thanksgiving, I apologize. <laughs> Tiberius came out. Hey, Tiberius didn't like that coin. No, he didn't. Um, so the image of Tiberius insane, like the son of God, obviously violated the second commandment of Moses. And it was, it was, it was blasphemous. I mean, everything about this coin, everything about this currency, the Jews hated it. So again, give credit where credit's due. These guys put Jesus on a tough spot because the Jews hated Rome, hated all that was happening. But Rome was very serious about their authority and their power and if Jesus even remotely spoke out against Rome, his death was gonna happen in moments. I mean, this is the same Herod, right? That if three people were gathered together, he would have them killed because he thought that they were conspiring against him. And there's no questions asked, he could just do it on the spot. That's kind of the the oppressiveness that was happening with the Roman authority. So it was, a, it was a very good trap, right? I mean, the way that they did it was awesome. But when Jesus answered, what is their response? When Jesus gave the answer, what did it cause? And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Now, I wish, I mean, if I had more time, I would stop and we'd just hit here for a second. But Jesus' answer, what we're looking at this morning, was such a marvelous answer that the people that wanted him dead for a moment marveled at what he said. I and mean, we just sit on that for a second. The people that k- ultimately came in here to kill him just marveled at the power of what he just said. Now, now listen, as, I mean, again, this is just a sidebar, this has nothing to do with this morning, but... But we see this throughout the Old Testament, right? That when God would would speak to them, they would build an altar to remember. And I'm, I'm pleading with you guys, because Christianity is tough, life is tough. Make sure, however you need to, remember the moments that made you marvel when the Lord spoke to you. Because when things get really bad, you have to go back to those and go, no, no, I know God is real because of this. And this moment is gonna get me to the next moment, because this moment God totally made me marvel. His word, how he spoke, how we ingrained his life into mine made me totally marvel. Even though I was angry and upset and wanted nothing to do with him, this moment God made me marvel. Don't forget that, church. That That is so key for us as we go through this life, is to never skip over the moments that made us marvel. So then the question is, what made them marvel? What was such a big deal? I'm a huge whiteboard guy. Can we whiteboard this morning? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and make all your jokes. I have horrible handwriting, so uh, 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 I can't read it. There it is. Can everybody see this? (coughs) Because ultimately, there's a contextual thing happening here. We we don't know Caesar. We don't know Rome. We don't know all that was going on. But we can understand man's authority, right? That we all are submitting to, at some level, man's authority. So what are some things that we're uh, submitting to? Uh, I would say... The first one is probably bosses, right? How many people have a job? How many people have school? All right, so at some level, whether it be a teacher or whether it be your boss, you have somethings or the retired couple in the back. Y'all are good. Don't worry about it. Uh, you're, Steve, you're married. That's your boss. Um, we all have authority over us, right? Like we all have something looming over us. We have assignments, we have hours, we have tasks that have to be done. We all have some kind of authority there. I think the second one would be local government, right? So we all have to submit to the local government. I mean, I know there's some political guys in here. Here's what I hear over and over and over again. Yes, federal government, big government's great, but what really matters is the local government. So um, I think our favorite genre here would be the 5.0. Right, police officers. We love police officers until they pull us over. Right, we love that. I mean, we've got local government. We can kind of keep going through here, uh, but then we also have federal government. That says federal, and then we under here we've got you know the the top dog L. I'm going to stop here. L Presidente. Now. Sidebar, and before I even go into this, one of the things I love about this church, but is also very unique about this church, is we have many different political stances here, right? We have left, right, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, weird middle, like hippies, all in, mixed in here. Which I, I love, don't get me wrong, I am going to finish El Presidente, because that was going to drive me crazy. So, um, underneath we've got bosses slash teachers, Right? So we've got local government, we've got federal government, and here and here, we're kind of dealing with the same thing. Now, if you work, you understand this. If you don't, your parents understand this. Taxes. So here's, as, as parenting, I mean, I don't think we parent completely well all the time, but I feel like we do, do this really well. Anytime our kids get excited about stuff, i.e. cookies, uh, my wife and I have just implemented uh, mommy and daddy tax. So we take a big bite out of that cookie and say, welcome to America. This is what happens. <laughs> You get something you want, the government gets half. it happens, right, so we 're trying to teach them ingrain into them don't get used to what you like because the government's second half so So we understand this and, and we can rebel and we can joke, but but it's y'all are all laughing because you 've seen that money hit your bank account and then disappear out of your bank account. So this is, this is what we're dealing with in our modern day. This is our Rome. This is our Caesar. This is the authorities that are over us. And we could talk about the bad experiences we've had with this or that. I could tell you the, the 13 hours I spent um, after we got audited from the IRS, proving that they were wrong. And I could tell you the time where I said, hey, um, just real quick, I'm going to voice record you. And he said, sir, you can't do that. It's a felony. I said, well, are you recording me? Yes, sir. Well, I'm recording you. And we went back and forth for about an hour over who can record who. Um, I could tell you all these authoritative things, the bosses that I've had, everything that's happened, and we all have these similar stories where we fought the authorities above us. This is give to who? Caesar. Give to Caesar, what is Caesar? Give to God's, what is God's? Now here's what started to cause them to marvel. And I think this is where we're starting to get to because underneath the God column, we've got James four, seven, right? Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit everything about you to the authority of God. But what they didn't see, and I would argue what we don't see is how do these two columns even work? How do they correspond to one another? One of the things when I first started getting into the ministry, everyone was talking about the secular, sacred, secular, sac- good gracious, secular, sacred divide, right? That this is the secular world, this is the sacred world, and those two things do not intersect. Don't worry about them. Keep those things separate. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God's. Those things are separate. But what Jesus is arguing, I would say, is that there's no way that we could separate these two that we give to Caesars because we are first and foremost God. See, we don't have an authority issue. We have a sovereignty issue. If we wrestle with authority over here, it's because we don't understand the sovereignty of God over here. Is God sovereign in putting all of these authorities over our lives? Yes or no? Is God sovereign over every single thing that happens? Because if we don't understand that on this column, then this column never makes sense. But if we understand that for our good, that God in his sovereignty is going to put all of these authorities in place so that we can have a deep, deeper relationship with God, then it, does it change the way that we view the authorities in our life? Does it change the way that we view him, we see him, we grow in him? So flip over to Romans 13 with me real fast. We'll kind of see this and then talk about it a little bit. Romans 13, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Now, I, I know there's, there's people like me in this room as you're flipping. You're already arguing with me in your head, and I love it. We'll get there. Because I argued with myself all week. Romans 13, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Let me me just read that part real quick, because this isn't like haphazard language here. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So when we start talking about authority, what, what they marveled at in this story, what they hated about the Rome. I mean, the Jews hated Rome. All that they had was destroyed by this Greco-Roman culture that was coming in to take over everything. They hated that. It drove us crazy. we talk politics and we talk authority. What we hate about authority is we don't understand God's sovereignty. So as we start to kind of wrestle through some of this thing, the first thing I want to say is do we understand God's sovereignty? Do we know what that means? I mean, the the definition of sovereignty is supreme power and authority. So do we give credit where credit is due? Do we understand and submit and willingly lay down that God has supreme authority over everything over everything supreme authority and power over uh, that is the definition that is the epitome of sovereignty and here, here's what i'm learning about myself no i'm not sovereign i'm not going to make a, a sovereignty joke here here's what i'm learning about myself i'm a pendulum guy anyone else i mean i am all the way over here i'm going as fast and as hard as i can or i'm doing nothing so like when a Saturday comes around, I'm either going to work in the yard all day long, do all these chores for my wife, or I'm going to sit here and watch Office all day. There's, there's not, not much middle ground. Anyone else? So like this idea of like spread out your work and like don't procrastinate. Nope, nope, nope. Over here. I'm going to wait to the last minute and I'm going to do everything super fast. I'm a pendulum guy. And here's what we want to get to with sovereignty. He either is or he isn't. It is a pendulum thing. There's, there's no middle ground in the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He is powerful and supreme over everything, or He's not. And that can't mean that He's sovereign in this area, but He's not sovereign in this area. No, no, no. That, that, that's a middle ground. He is, or He's not. And we have to understand this. I mean, what, what Jesus is alluding to here is that even though, and we'll see in a minute, even though things are about to come unglued, God is still sovereign. So God cannot be sovereign over your relationships but not be sovereign over your career. God cannot, God cannot be sovereign over this church, but not sovereign over your finances. God cannot be sovereign and not. There, there's no pendulum here. God is either sovereign or he isn't. I think one of the best examples is the end of Genesis with Joseph, right? And when we see this, all this happen. where you could argue, if you stopped in the middle of that story, go, there's no way God is sovereign in this. When Joseph was doing nothing wrong, just being the youngest brother, and they sell him into slavery, how could God be sovereign over that? When he's running away from Potiphar's wife, how could God be sovereign in that moment? When all this is taken, when we just look at little scenarios here and there, we would point and say, there's no way God is sovereign over that. But Genesis 50, 20 says it clearly. "'As for you, you meant evil against me,' Joseph is saying to his brothers, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What you meant for evil, the authorities in my life, God meant for good. So that many people should be kept alive. Because we know Joseph is the one that created the system for the famine and was rationing out food, created all of this. So then if we start working our way backwards, go, oh, well, that makes tons of sense. Then, if that wouldn't have happened, then that wouldn't have happened, then that wouldn't have happened. I can see God's sovereignty at work. But we are so minimal in our thinking and in our scope that in the moment, God, there's no way God could be sovereign. And you could argue that for the last eight years of the presidency. You could argue that for the four years of presidency now, and you're going to argue that in the next four years, the next four years, and the next four years until you die. Right, and well, we could argue this in any scope. I have the worst boss. I have the worst teacher. You don't understand this. I'm just saying, no, no, no. Zoom out. Is God sovereign? Zoom in. Change your response. Zoom out to see the sovereignty of God. If he is sovereign, then zoom back in and change the way you think. It's repentance. It's metanoia. Repentance isn't just changing your action. It's first changing the way you think about that action and then changing your action. The second one, and I want to be careful here because I'm very sensitive and I understand this point, that the way that some of these have happened, the interactions that we've had has skewed the way that we view God's sovereignty, that we have had horrible authority figures in our life. And we say, if that is authority, if that is God's authority in my life, his sovereignty in my life, then I want nothing to do with God that we've been wounded and abused by different authorities in our life. And I, yes, and amen. There's been four, uh, within the last month, four pastor friends have fallen out of the ministry because of sin. One struck really close to home, and I know their church is gonna come unraveled, and there's gonna be so many wounded souls leaving that place, vowing never to go to church again because of what happened. I, I know it's going to take place. I've seen it happen before my eyes. That the authority that you're submitted to within church membership uses you and abuses you and you vow, if that's God's authority, then I'm never going to church again. And that changes the way I view God's sovereignty. Uh, I get it. I see it. I, I want to be empathetic to that. That we, we are skewed on God's sovereignty because of some of the poor authority that's been put in our life. But I want to ask us again, what does it look like to zoom out? In this one moment, yes, I understand you feel that way, but feelings aren't always right. They're real, but they're not always right. What would it look like for us to zoom out? Now, another thing I think that we don't understand God's sovereignty in our local authority. And, and please hear me, I might joke around and be a little sarcastic here, uh, but this, this is a serious issue. Um, because we play the victim card. We don't understand the sovereignty and authority in our life because we are so quick to jump to the victim card. And woe is me, because we have a false understanding of biblical suffering. I'm suffering here under this local... No, you're not. you like, listen, listen, church. We don't know what biblical suffering is. So let's just, let's just take a moment. If you're a college student, I'm going to pick on you. Don't raise your hand I'm just because I've done this before. My teacher is the worst teacher ever. Oh, my goodness. I have to have this 15-page paper done or this five-page paper done by tomorrow. Isn't this the worst thing ever? And she changed this on me last minute. Are you here for school, yes or no? Yes, okay. Are you here, and did you receive a syllabus on your first day of class, yes or no? Okay, in that moment, did you know that that paper was going to be due at that time, yes or no? You're not suffering. Now, I'm, I'm being over-simplistic here because how quick do we run to this suffering card? God is testing me. I'm suffering for the sake of the kingdom. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what life—we are not suffering. But let's just— sit but let me just kind of give into this for a second. Hypothetically, say that you are suffering underneath the authorities that God has put in your life. Flip with me to First Peter, and let's see what God says about suffering. Maybe that'll change your answer. Maybe you'll quit saying you're suffering because suffering is going to happen. First Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that the hope is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Four, it is better to suffer for doing good than should be God's will than for doing evil. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, for than doing evil. So, hypothetically, you truly are suffering under the authority that God has put in your life. First Peter would say, good. That's right. Go for it. It's better to be tempted and to be resilient. It's better to be good and walk into suffering than to run to what is evil. So is it possible then for us to, and Sam Storms has an incredible blog I can share with you if you're interested. Is it possible for us to be submitting under authority and it's going to be painful to us and lead to real suffering? Yes. It's impossible to go read through the Old Testament and not see this happen over and over and over and over and over again. And then wait 400 years, flip the chapter to the New Testament and see this happen over and over and over and over and over again. Is it possible that the government in the United States might change in the next 20 years to turn to oppressive against Christians? I don't, maybe. But even if it does, is that the end of the world? No, we're just doing what the Bible said would happen. The suffering is going to happen and it's fine because if we understand the sovereignty of God, then man's authority helps us to get to where God wants us to be. That is the point of suffering to refine us, to sanctify us to grow us in who he's asking us to be. Now, here's where I know that some of us us have already gone. I hear you. Let me address this. But what if authority is asking me to do something contradictory to God's word? What if suffering is, because I know that's the, that's the trump card, right? Like, but I, I can't do this because the teacher's asking me to do this. Like, no, okay, let's go there. I can't do this because my boss has asked me to do this. But what if it truly is, and you've sought wise counsel, you've talked to friends and family, truly asking to do something contradictory to God's word? Acts 5, 27 through 29 puts it perfectly. And when they had brought them in, the apostles, they sat them before the council, and the high priest questioned, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intended to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So, church, if we get in a situation where The authority over our lives is asking us to do something contradictory to God's words. We must obey God rather than men. But I'll just be honest. I have very rarely ever seen that happen. When we cry wolf, it's more of, I don't want to do this. This is painful. This is hard. Not, they're asking me to be disobedient to God's word. That's what's really happening most of the time is that we just don't like authority because we don't understand that God is sovereign over that authority. Iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. We love that Bible verse, right? Oh, that's so beautiful. But we all know how iron sharpens iron, right? Through painful slamming together of iron. Iron. (laughs) Right? I mean, that is two things colliding together, causing sparks. That's what's happening. So the authority that you're under, is it causing sparks? Well, then you're probably doing the right thing God is probably using that to grow you and sanctify you. You're, you're probably right where you need to be. Now now here's the big question, right? So let's, we've kind of talked about this. Let's zoom back into the story. Why did this happen when it happened? Like why is God in the last moments, the last days of Jesus life using his life in this example to teach us and tell us about authority? Because he's about to be killed as an innocent man. There's not much more injustice than that, right? I mean we're talking the local authority, the local government, religious in of Rome is going to have him killed and murdered as an innocent man. Talking about an oppressive authority. Okay, like, like we have never experienced that here. So he's using this to teach us and to show the apostles where sovereignty really lies here. What is actually happening? What is actually taking place? Is there anything that happens with the authorities in our life that God's sovereignty does not control, does not oversee, does not handle? So flipping me over to John, this should be the last flip, because I want us to see this. This should give us courage, this should give us hope, this should give us encouragement about the authorities that are in our life. John 19. John chapter 19, this is during the case of Jesus. Pick it up, verse 7, John 19, verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he, was made, he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters and again said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? So do you not know, Jesus, that I have the ultimate authority in this situation? Which just makes Jesus chuckle. I just have to believe that in Jesus' heart. He's going, you fool. Verse 11. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. So even this authority, Pilate, to have me killed, you would have no authority at all unless I had first given this authority to you. So the apostles and the disciples and the followers of Jesus need to hear this happen. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God's what is God's, because what God is is sovereign, and God is sovereign over all these authorities. So give it to him. It doesn't matter. It's just in the near eye. I own everything. So let him think for a second that he's in authority, because ultimately God's sovereignty is over all. Have we ever had this feeling that the authority is going to crush us? Well, cheer up. So did Jesus. Have you ever had to look in your authority's eye and say, I'm helpless here. I can do nothing here. But do you not know that three days later is coming? Do you not know that the time is coming where the true sovereign will reign over all this authority? So, So with this being said, it's kind of funny to us, the authority that God has put us under because ultimately he is our ultimate authority. He is our ultimate sovereignty. He is God. So how then do we treat our authority? How then do we live our lives from here? 1 Corinthians 10 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So if you're a student, look at me, you should be the best student in your class because you're not sitting under a teacher's authority, you're sitting under God's authority. If you're an employee, look at me, you should be the best employee in your job because you're not sitting under man's authority, you're sitting under God's authority. God has placed you under this authority for his sovereign will, for a purpose. We should be the best one there. The local authority here should know the Branch Church exists because we're the best citizens in Lumpkin County. Because this is not God's, or this is not man's sovereignty or authority over us, this is God's authority and sovereignty over us. So how then do we respond to the authority that God's placed over us? Man, we should be the best in the room. We should, be, we should be doing all of this for God's glory. God, if you've given me this assignment, let me run with this assignment as hard as I can. I'm going to be the best in my neighborhood. I'm going to be the best in my school. I'm going to be the best here and here and here. Not because I care about my appearance, but if I'm a Christian in this room, I want the authority to go back to God. If God asks for excellence, I'm going to show you, teacher, I'm going to show you, boss, I'm going to show you, government, what real excellence looks like, because I'm working for God and I'm not working for you. Because ultimately, you have no authority over me. So I'm going to sit here, I'm going to work my tail off, I'm going to show you what God-driven excellence looks like. Because what we do, whether we eat or we drink or we work or we school or we labor or we toil, we all do it all for the glory of God even when the authority looks like it's oppressive, even when we can play the victim card, even when fill in all the blanks. If men is not asking us to contradict what scripture says, then we do it all for the glory of God. So I'll end with this. If we have earthly authority over us, it is sovereignly placed there for a reason work hard to find that reason. If we have earthly authority over us, God has sovereignly put it there for a reason. What is that reason? As we end, I'm going to pray for us in a second, but we always take communion together just to remember the gospel, to remember what God has done for us. And, And here's what we're remembering. I mean, we're about to break the bread, which is body and dip it in the juice, which is the blood that he spilled out. He spilled out under poor authority that he knowingly submitted to the authority that had no right to kill him, but he did because there was a sovereign reason, a sovereign purpose that we can be sons and daughters of the king now. That's what we get to remember, that we have an empathetic high priest, that he's not asking us to do this, that he's not already done for us. So let us remember, let us rejoice, even though he was an innocent man, he submitted to that authority so that his blood could be spilled, his body could be broken and we could be made sons and daughters of the Most High King, the Most High Authority, the Sovereign God. Let's pray. And Father, we we must confess that we don't like authority. God, there's parts of us that think we can do it better, that they don't understand, that they don't know. God, would you forgive us of those sins? Jesus. Jesus. God, would we look at your example in Scripture? That you said, "Give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God," and what you mean by that is our entire life, our entire being, everything that we are. Give it first and foremost to you. And if we've done that, and you choose to put us under good authority or under poor authority, you've done that for a sovereign reason. And let us trust you and rejoice in you for all that you've done. So God, we pray that you would give us a scope to see your sovereignty, Would you give us a heart to understand your love for us? And as we take communion this remor- this morning, would we remember that you never asked us to do anything you haven't already done? God, the, the beauty of the gospel. Would it, would it rain deep in our souls that you willingly laid your life down that this is true love and not just for friends but at the time enemies that we were willingly walking in this disobedience following the prince of the power of the air the son that, the spirit that is now working in us but you came and you lived and you died and you raised from the dead so that we can be sons and daughters. And you accomplished all of that under poor authority. That the world was an awful place to be. That the Roman government was killing people left and right and continued to get worse. So we trust you, our sovereign king. Nothing is happening that you don't know about. It was an accident, Father, that you're working all of this together for our good. Let us trust and rejoice and be glad in that. So church, in a moment I will say amen and we will take communion and remember together as believers in this room all that God has done for us and the authority he's put over us for a reason. It's your name we pray, amen.